In Exodus chapter 3, Moses says to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, your, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We talked a little bit about legacy last week and the generations and how important generations are to one another. The Word of God always transfers from one generation to another. It goes from one group of people to another. What we do when these children come forward, when we pray over them, is not something to take lightly. Why? Because what we're doing is we're standing in the gap saying, we're going to transfer from one generation to another what we have learned. Now, the, the beautiful thing about Exodus is, is there's a context to this. And, and in the coming weeks, and Lord willing... Um, the ultimate goal is to kind of get through Exodus, teasing out some of the treasures, I think. Um, there's a theological aim to the book of Exodus that, that I shared last week. Um, these are the names. There's names in here. In the Latin, Exodus means to exit or to go. We talked about that. So setting this context, um, we, we witnessed last week, I discussed infanticide. And I know... I want to say this, the Bible is relevant for every topic of your life. The reason that we don't realize it's important for topics of our lives is because we don't read it. And when we do read it, we begin to understand and grow deeper. And so Moses, we find providentially in chapter 2, um, he's been brought up in the house of Pharaoh, we know this. Um, I can st still hear the, the granddaughter of my dad's favorite architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, Ann Baxter saying from the movie in 1956, The Ten Commandments, Moses. Do you, how many of you remember that movie? They play it at Easter, Moses. And she came out and she was gorgeous, looky looking, and she had everything put together. Do you remember that? I could, my dad's favorite architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, I always remembered that. And so I, I, um, I just want to, I just want to say this, that the book of Exodus, in comparison to the 1956 rendition with Charlton Heston, is going to be a little different. Can, I, can everybody say amen? Everybody's like, no, don't ruin it for me. Um, I want to read chapter 2. There was a man of the tribe of Levi married to a Levite woman. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. When she saw that he, had, he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. You'll remember the context. Pharaoh has decided a decree to kill all the children of Israel, or the, the boys, the baby boys. The infanticide has come. Uh, but the midwives are standing in the gap, and they're, and they're saving these children. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, and she put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. 
He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. This is one of the Hebrew babies. Chapter 2 is broken into two parts, and, and these parts are important. One focuses on this birth story of Moses. And you can imagine the context, right? The baby is, is floating there. They pick the baby up. We all know the story. Um, and the baby is saved. The second part of chapter 2 and 3, and moving into chapter 3, is his subsequent life. Moses murders an Egyptian and flees. And he goes into the land of Midian. And these two themes are important. But Moses intentionally places one thing important. He says this right at the beginning of verse 1. He says this, A man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. Moses was understanding that he was from a lineage of a priesthood. Why? Because he will be the one who will specifically speak for God in the future. He will be the one who guides the people. But more than this, the Hebrew priest is allowed to be in the presence of God Almighty. We know that the priest lays the foundation for all of what it would be called to be in the presence of God. You, my friends, are called something. You're called a royal priesthood. And in that priesthood, you have the concept to be able to go into the presence of God. You have been redeemed. We also see the concept that Moses goes, what? Through the water. He is saved by water. The basket goes into the Nile. It is found. Water plays a massive role in the life of Exodus. And for Moses, water is something integral to following God. There's no doubt that he's witnessing a type of bio, a baptism. How many of you have been baptized? I said this last week. You should be baptized. It's not an option. It's a command of God. And going through the water of God, we are saved. Isn't that interesting? But in chapter 3, Moses goes to the mountain. Moses finds himself wandering off. He's in Midian. He's met Jethro. He, is, he has wandered through. He, is, he has been living there in relative peace, growing older, shepherding the flock. And all of a sudden, he's called by God. Many of you have been living lives of relative peace. And then the last two years came stress, didn't it? The interesting thing about this is God keeps calling no matter what happens in our lives. And for Moses, a man who should have been killed for killing an Egyptian, who flees and runs away from God, God still pursues him and brings him back. And this is where it takes shape. There was a man feeding his flock, Jethro, the father-in-law, the, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw through the bush, was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, where is she? Moses, no, it's not the woman's voice who's calling this time. And Moses said, here I am. Do, 
Do not come, o- come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for this place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid. Notice that God invited Moses into his presence. You, by nature, do not go seeking after God. I want to say that to you. Before I was a Christian, I was not seeking after God. God was seeking after me. And he began to put people into my lives that actually drew me closer to God. This is why small groups are so vitally important. My first small group was Billy Graham's grandson. That was my first small group, you can imagine. And, and I've shared this story before. You know, I do a good Billy Graham accent. And without knowing that I was in a small group with Billy Graham's grandson, you can imagine what I did. We call that foot and mouth disease. And I did it. But I want to say this. I, I, I think it's important that we realize very quickly that Isaiah says when we enter into the presence of the Lord, as he did in Romans 10, Isaiah says, I, found by those, I was found by those who did not seek me. I, was reveal, I, I revealed myself to those who didn't ask for me. God is revealing himself to you even when you don't ask. And you'll start to see it in life. And this is impri- precisely the encounter that, that he's having. God is coming after Moses. Why? Because he's got a task for him to do. Every one of you in this place has something that God has for you. And the question is whether or not you're going to grasp onto it and take it and run with it. I can tell you this, and I've shared this before. I did not want to be a minister. I actually ran from it. I did not want to do it. I tried to do anything I could do not to be a minister. And yet God kept coming and coming and coming after me. And it's at this moment that you all of a sudden have a revelation. And Moses had the revelation of the angel of the Lord. It wasn't just that a bush was burning. It was that the angel of the Lord's presence was inside the bush. It's, it's, It's a unique one. It's absurdity to think that somehow a bush burning would intrigue Moses. But sometimes the material things of this world actually do get our attention. Do you notice that? They get our attention. They direct our paths. Sometimes we end up in places, not the places we wanted to, but we end up there because there are circumstances going around that that happen beyond our control. Like last night, I ended up in Glasgow with a car broken down, and I had to catch the last train home. And it was the pack train after the rugby game. And, And the four of us, my wife, Shanley, Uh, Ellie and I sat there on that train that went to Edinburgh. It went to Edinburgh two and a half hours later. And and the irony of that is I thought, okay, we're going to make it. It's only got four. It's got four cars. There'll be plenty of space. You'd think so at 1130 at night, wouldn't you? And then what happens? Somebody beyond our control decides that they have to, to throw up in the front The front car, everywhere. And so all of the people move into the last three cars. Unbeknownst to me, beyond my control, we are sitting packed 
with drunk rugby folk. Sometimes you end up in places you don't think you should end up. But sometimes you end up in places where God just wants to meet with you. And it's those weird spaces and places that, that the Lord has something to say. Notice when God engages with Moses, when he goes over to look, God calls Moses by name. There's a huge concept here. God knows every hair on your head, or lack thereof for some of you, but he knows every hair on your head. He knows your name. He knows when you were born. He knows who you marry. He knows when you moved into your house. There isn't anything that the Lord doesn't know about you. He calls you by name. Thank you for that amen. I needed that today. I'm exhausted, by the way. Um, I, I learned something last night. Dundee is not a 24-hour town. You come in at 1 o'clock in the morning, there's no taxis. But we did find one by the grace of God. But notice something else that happens. An angel of the Lord in the bush, he calls out his name. But notice what Isaiah says here. He says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel, do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. Some of you wonder if God is still speaking to you. Has God forgotten me? He is. He summons you by name. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. Moses, Moses, and what does he say? This is the one thing that you need to say when God calls you. Here I am. Notice the presence immediately. This opens a dialogue. If you think God isn't talking to you right now, just say, here I am, God. Come to me. I need you. How often are you in his presence? If you, if you, if you wonder, he's not really around. How often do you spend time in his presence? How much time do you spend doing other things apart from God? I mean, it is so easy right now. I have a phone that gives me access to Facebook, to Instagram, to the internet. I could just go down the list of things that I have access to that direct my attention away from the Lord. And it sits with me all day long. I love this. See, there's a danger here. Because the key theme that God is pointing to when he's calling us is he's saying this, I, I want to kara you. I want you to come to me. I want you to be with me. I want you to spend time with me. But I don't want it to just be a, an idle time, a time where you're just sitting around doing something. And I, I've watched people gather into small groups before I used to teach at university, and, and I'd hear a lot of young people saying, hey, we're going to have a small group, and we're going to pray, and we're going to seek God, and guess what would happen? That might happen for the first two weeks, and then over time, they, it would just be a fellowship time, and then it, all of a sudden, it just lost its potency. See, Paul says this, as we walk with God, and as we're drawn into his presence, he who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to the works, but according to his own purpose and grace. He granted to us in Christ all eternity. Now the irony is this, that, that we are 
put into the presence of God. But we're not one with God. I want, I want to clear that up. I, I, I had somebody say to me, oh, I was just one with God. And I wanted to say this, no, you didn't. No, you weren't. It's like saying a tree hugger, I was one with the tree. Right? No, you weren't. Because holiness has a degree of separation. And in the story of Moses that we see here, there's a degree of separation between Moses and the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. They're not the same thing. One has taken off his sandals to walk into the presence of the Lord. And I want to say this, that holiness really, really does matter if you're a Christian. It matters. Make every... Effort to live in peace and to be what? Holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. I can't argue with it. That's Hebrews chapter 2. Our actions, the volitions of our will, they matter to God. Notice what Moses says in Leviticus after having the burning bush experience. He said, you are to be holy because I, the Lord, am holy and I've set you apart from the nations to be my own. God says to Moses, I set you apart. You're to be holy. So that means something. That means that we can't live, oftentimes, the way our natural dictates tell us to live. Does Dundee have a drug problem? That's the natural man in the desires of the flesh manifesting it out. That's what that is. It's not that that person is innately, well, innately corrupt, yes, but not terribly bad. We love those people. We care for those people. But the reality is they're only following the dictates of their natural heart. Why? Because the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. The Bible says who can know it? We are built for our natural desires. But when God meets Moses, something spiritual happens. When you meet with God, something spiritual changes takes form. It changes everything so that you no longer gratify the desires of the flesh or live in those ways. You live according to what the Word of God dictates. I follow the Word. I love the Word. When when God says, don't come any closer, Moses, he's saying it not that he dislikes Moses. He loves Moses. He's saying it because we are utterly different. When I walk into church here every week, do you know this? I was walking over the platform and I walk over to the church. I'm praying for us to have a real encounter with Jesus Christ. Something that actually changes us. Not not that we just come to church and I tick the box for the week. And you know, it it was so nice because it was just like the week before. If we don't come in in the... in the desire of knowing that there is a holy God who loves me and loves you and wants to be with us. But you know what? We won't be close enough to him. Why? Because we are not fully holy. This is why we say sorry for our sin. This is why we repent. And this is why our nation sometimes has to repent of the sins that we bring upon ourselves. And that's important. Um, do, you, do, you like, uh, do you like Indiana Jones? I'm an Indiana Jones fan, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Last Crusade. Anybody like those? Maybe it's because I'm I'm 43 and uh, it's my age group. 
Notice I didn't tell you my age. But uh, the reality is maybe it's, maybe it's because they were made in a, in a crucial time in my life when I was like, this is wonderful. But I love specifically the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I didn't go to church as a child. I didn't ever know what the Ark was. Uh, I didn't have a foundation. And we learn about the Ark in the book of Exodus. I didn't know any of that. And, but I saw this Ark of the Covenant, and I, and I felt strangely kind of attracted to it. And I thought, well, this is amazing. And maybe it was that little thing, that movie that was made by Hollywood that actually attracted me to start thinking, well, there, maybe there's spiritual things out there. But the last scene signifies the total holiness of God. Harrison Ford, on a quest to find the lost ark, he pursues it until the last scene. Marion, his romantic sidekick, I love that one, um, are tied up by the antagonist, Belloc. Uh, you remember Belloc? Anybody remember the movie, or am I just talking to people that just never saw it? All right. Well, Belloc opened the ark, and all of a sudden, these spirits come flying around, and they're all beautiful. And they're tied up to this pole, and all of a sudden, what does he say? Indiana Jones says something, and he, it's like he went to Sunday school as a kid. He said, don't look at it, Marion. Don't look at it. Why? Because he recognized they were in the presence of God. God is who God is. God is, or let me put it this way, God, more philosophically, God absolutely is. I, I have a lot of conversations with people about Jesus. Do you know that? I had one last night on the train. <laughs> I was like, man, God, you're bringing people in. Uh, I still feel terrible because they're all like touching me. And one guy's sporing, kept rubbing up against me. I was very, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, uh, no. But, um, but, but God absolutely is. And, and it's funny because people who want to talk about God, they say really strange things. And they say things like, I don't really believe in God. Well, if God is, God doesn't really care what you think. Nobody amen that one. What? That doesn't, that doesn't feel good. Well, actually, God exists. You're not going to argue out God like God somehow can be argued away. God exists. I see him everywhere. And I had this conversation even last night about the fact that God is. He is perfect. And this encounter in chapter 3 signifies that God existed long before Moses ever made it up the mountain. Why? Because he says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. He was having an encounter with the God of his forefathers. Let me share something with you. Long before my generation was born and your generation was born, there was another generation that was having encounters with God. We read their stories and we read their histories. And before that, there was another generation having an encounter with God. And then we read their stories and we read their histories. And you know what? Every generation subsequently has encounters with God. The question is, are you having an encounter with God? I can't make you have the encounter. No one can make you have the encounter except the volition of your will to say, here I am. I'm right here. There was a song that I used to love to sing, and I've sung it to you before. 
and 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 it just basically here I am. It was the, that was the that was the chorus line. Here I am, um, and it, it talked about the holiness of God, the holiness of God, and it was basically Isaiah. You know, who's going to go for me? And I would say, here I am. I'll go for you. Do you realize I didn't even know what I was saying at the time? I'll go for you. Little did I know that this little man with a ponytail in Florida is going to end up in Dundee, Scotland. But here I am. I'm going to go for you. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. And so I, I, I want to I just, I want to do 10 theological, well, less than 10 theological because we won't have time. But I'm going to do a few theological realities to the reality that God is, that Moses met God. All right? First one is this. God, absolute being, means God will never end. God is not going to end. Let me show Nietzsche, God is not dead. All right? He never ends. It didn't come, he didn't come into being, and if he didn't come into being, he can't go out of being. If he's only a being, and he's a being, which he is, he is what he is. This is why nobody can argue with him. This is why you can't, you could argue with him, but it's not going to work. You can't argue him out of existence. Theologians have tried. It doesn't work. Second is God absolute being means God is absolute reality. There is no reality before him. There is no reality outside of him unless he wills it and makes it so. He is not, he is not, one of many realities like the Hindus believe, like the New Agers believe. It's not what he is. He's simply absolute reality. He is all that eternity had to offer. No space, no universe, no emptiness, only God. How about this one? God is utterly independent. We saw that with the burning bush. Moses, you can't come any closer. I'm independent. He depends on nothing to bring him support. Can I say something to you? If, the, if every church in the world were to instantly go away, it would not change God. He exists. He is. We sometimes think that we have a lot to offer. And we need a little humility periodically to say, you know what, God is holy. I'm not holy. God is just. I'm not just. I may do justice things. I may help people, but I'm not just. I think the whole thing with the, the whole, like, people upset about the number 10 downing parties um, is crazy. It's crazy. Not to say that they shouldn't have had the party. I'm not saying that. But it's crazy how people have reacted. You want to know why? Because I remember a lot of conversations with all you people. You know, I know I shouldn't do this, but... We all did things in the last two years that we probably shouldn't have done, whether we knew it or didn't know it. I know I did. Uh-oh. Can you erase that part of the, the tape? Um, how about this one? God's absolute being means, rather, that we depend totally on him. Everything that you have comes from him. It, it doesn't come from us. When, when my, child, my child was born, I realized something. I didn't make that. <laughs> she, she was formed and she was knitted together in, in, in Courtney's womb, but God did that. I didn't do that. 
He, he made every cell multiply. He knitted it all together. Why? Because we depend on him. We depend on him. God is the standard of truth, not you or I. We're not the standard of truth. We're not the standard of goodness, and we're not the standard of beauty. There's no law book which looks to know what is right, truly. No almanac to establish all the facts. No guild, and I'm part of a guild now with a PhD, no guild to determine what is excellent and beautiful. All that we do, all that we do, is we attempt to reflect back the image of a God who already exists. We talk about him. We exalt him. We, we magnify him. We, we display his beauty. That's all we do is reflect back. Now, the world doesn't always reflect back, but we as the church reflect back. So when somebody's struggling and you give them a phone call, that's a reflection of the character of God. When somebody uh, needs flowers, Morag, <laughs> you deliver flowers because it's a reflection of God. When we gather together in small groups and somebody is really hurting because of a situation or something going on and somebody can meet that need, it's a reflection of the character of God. So everything that we do that comes from God flows in and through and out of us as a reflection of who he is. Because he's always right. Downing Street is not always right. I am not always right. You are not always right. He is never wrong. That's just the truth. He is always beautiful. He is always right. How about this? If he's right, then he can do whatever he pleases. Because he's always beautiful and he's always according to the truth. Now these are hard concepts. Why? Because sometimes we rile against them. I don't, I don't, I don't want to know that. First of all, I, I listen to people. And I, I was listening to a man on the radio the other day and he was, he was saying, I'm not a religious person because I've had some bad things happen in my life. Welcome to the real world, the reality. We live in a fallen world, Genesis. And because of that fallenness and because of that fallen world, you will suffer. And you know what? The Israelites suffered. But God said, I have heard their what? Sufferings. Let me share something with you. I don't know how people make it through the world without God. I really don't. I'm amazed. But, but what happens is I find when, I, when you probe a little deeper, they're hurting really bad. And there are a lot of unanswered questions. And there's a lot of deep hurts. And I will say this, because I want to be sensitive, that God does whatever he pleases. He created the world. He designed the universe. He governs it with absolute authority. So if he is utterly free from all constraints that don't originate him from his own counsel, he's free. So following God is, is freedom. And what he does is he sends the spirit of the Lord in the midst of us. And out of the spirit of the Lord comes what? Freedom. My, my sin... When I was, when I was a, a young man was ever before me. It's meaning that I, I knew when I made mistakes, I, I knew it. 
See, God writes his law on our hearts. And because the law of God is on our hearts, whether when we do things, we recognize, oh, I've sinned or I've made mistakes. I didn't know the word sin because I didn't go to church. But I knew I was making mistakes and I knew I was hurting people and I knew I was, I was doing things that really probably, it, it would have hurt my parents' heart had they known. How many of you ever did things your parents didn't know about? Okay, you, none of you are raising your hands, you're liars. Um, the, the reality is, we knew about that. And I, and I started to recognize those things. And it was in those moments that I realized I need forgiveness. I need mercy. But I didn't know where to go for it. And so what I did is I got on my knees in Miami, Florida, and I, and I said, God, I don't even know if you're real. I mean, I really didn't know. But if you are real, this is what I came to the conclusion of. You must be the God of the Jews because there's only one God. That's what I said. I, I didn't know who the God of the Jews were. And, and I ended up meeting with a friend of mine who was Jewish, and she handed me a book on Judaism. And, and I even said at that moment, I said, if you're Jesus, show me. See, the Bible says, if you seek me, you will find me. Amen. And I remember getting on my knees and begging the Lord, and you know what happened? Nothing. It was kind of, it, w it wasn't a burning bush moment, let me tell you. I didn't have the burning bush. I had nothing. And so I kept going out and doing things, and, and my sin kept compounding, and I kept doing the things I didn't really want to do, but I felt the pressure of the world. And then what happened was I ended up having an encounter with the Lord in which he showed me that I needed him. And, and from that moment, somebody called and said, hey, I was a pastor up front. He said, hey, if you are a sinner and you need Savior, now's the time. And I remember thinking, I don't know what this is going to lead to, but I need to ask God to forgive me. And so I came forward up to the front, and I asked God to forgive me. There were a bunch of young men and women up front, um, and, uh, and they were praying for people, and they were asking people to come forward and receive the grace of God, to be saved. It was that moment that I could say this, I had my burning bush moment. I had my encounter with God like Moses had, because what it did is it, it, it saved my life, changed my life. And I immediately began to grow in the things of God, I began to hear his voice. I began to pray. I began to read. I had an affinity for the word of God. I wanted to study God's Bible. I loved the word then. It changed me. I was, I was different. I, I, wanted to do, I wanted to be at Bible studies with Billy Graham's grandchildren making fun of Billy Graham. I mean, I wanted to do those things. Why? Because it, it was fun. It, all of a sudden, it was, it was important. And so I, I want to say this to you. That, that the burning bush moment matters in the book of Exodus because God is always drawing us into his presence. If we could bear, break nothing down to the theme, it's that God really wants you to be with him. And it doesn't matter if you've been going to church your whole life. It doesn't matter if you've been, been, um, been really out of church your whole life. It doesn't matter. God still loves you. 
And do you know what the interesting thing is? Simon brought this up to me a few weeks ago. That the bush in Hebrew is not a bush. It's a tree. The word is tree. When do we meet with God? We meet him in a what? Through the tree. So I want to say this to you. I brought my sins to Christ. I brought them to the cross of Christ, and I dropped them there. The burning bush episode teaches us that we're to bring ourselves to God. And it's in that moment that I guarantee you God will do amazing things with your life, just as he did with Moses. It will do things that you can't even imagine. Moses didn't expect, even though he had heard that he would be the deliverer, he could never imagine what, he would, what he'd be dealing with in chapter 6, and chapter 7, and chapter 8. And the freedom of God that was placed on his life, he would not know that. None of us know what God has in store for us. But the moment that we give the volition of our will and we say, I want to follow you, God. I want to be with you. I want want my sins forgiven. God will forgive your sin and he'll wash you clean and and he he will show to you the meaning of the cross. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know where anybody is at. I I know this, that Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm doing that. I'm trying to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. But if you need the Lord, today's the day. Today's the day. Come back to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the one thing that we all need. And so I say this to you. If you have not, if you have not, or maybe you strayed away from God, If you've strayed away from God, God wants to bring you back. If you're wandering out in the desert of Midian and your life is kind of a mess, come home. Or, or, if you recognize that God is in the bush and you're ready for another encounter, it's been a while. Now's the time to have the encounter. We're in the the holiest place you will be all week long. You are on consecrated holy ground. And this is what God does. He meets us. Shall we pray? Father, you are good. And Lord, we ask that your spirit come right now into this place and fill us afresh. Father, I ask that your, your grace and your mercy would begin to help us to see you for who you are. Father, we think of Moses and we think of his life. Lord, he was a murderer. And God, you made him holy. He ran away from you and you brought him back. He was afraid to do what you called him to do and yet you gave him courage Father, would you do that in our lives? Father, as we go to the tree where your son did not despise it, but he went there willingly where he shed his blood for us, where he ignites in us a flame of fire, would you come? Father, would you forgive our sins, Lord, 
Would you forgive us, Lord, for the things that we've done to hurt people, to hurt ourselves, for the ways that we've hidden our face from you, just as Moses had? Would you forgive us? Would you forgive our land, God, and our nation for the ways in which we have destroyed lives in the ways that we haven't reached out and shown love in the way we should? Would you forgive us? Lord, in those moments when we ran away from you and yet you've called us back, would you, would you forgive us for those moments when we said, no, I'm going to do it my way? And Father, for, for the people in this room and the people who are listening to this audio, for those who have not put their faith and their trust in you fully, God, would you reveal yourself to them? And would they, in the quiet space, in the quiet moment of where they're at right now, would they listen for your voice? Father, I thank you that you tell us in your word, Jesus, No man comes to the Father except through me. So, Lord, we enter into the Father through you, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Your shed blood for us is what we rely on. And we thank you for your forgiveness as we forgive others. Father, I pray that you would help us and lead us not into temptation but that you would help us, Lord, and you would deliver us from evil. We live in a terrible age, God, where terrible evils are happening. Would you deliver us? Thank you for Moses, the deliverer. Lord, we thank you for yourself, Christ, who delivered us. In Jesus' name.